Well, what a week it was. Hi again, everybody. Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with another episode of Inside Curling. Unless you've been living in a cave, the Scotties has been wrapped up. And we may be crowning a goat in curling. Everyone knows what the goat is. Greatest of all time. Kevin Martin joins us, World Curling Hall of Famer, of course, and so does Warren. My head's getting longer, Warren. I've had to extend my headset Okay, I've had to to pull down the ears and I adjusted my light and I got up and Mike, our producer, said, wow, look at that gut. (laughs) I've never sat down so quick in my life. Lots on the show this week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And thank you very much to our sponsor, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag and Coyote Tractor, brings you the Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline is with us every week for our guest spot in the house. And boy, do we have a doozy. Kevin, I think we could thank you for this. Carrie Anderson is going to join us four times in a row. Holy man. So we're going to look at all of that. The Scotties wrapped up. We'll get both your takes on what went on there and our selections, how we ended up doing. I may skip that part. Uh, the World Junior Championships is underway in Fusen, Germany. Uh, you're going to be surprised, I think, the Briar gets underway next week in London. We've got the A and B pools are set out. We'll have a quick glance at that. And we will make our picks for who's going to win, who's going to make the finals. The electronic hog line handles were used last week in Kamloops. First time in a number of years, about three years. Uh, and there were some issues. Uh, so we'll take a glance at that and see what's up. Mailbag, good one here. There's a guy who took his kid to the... Uh, Scotties and started walking around the concourse and couldn't find anything to do. Uh, we'll look at that email and get your reaction to that, fellas. And then, of course, Carrie Anderson is going to join us. What a victory that was. All right, let's get rolling. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction 19 years plus and Ontario only. And please play responsibly. Okay, Kev, what did you think of the whole thing? I was riveted. I had the TV on all week. <laughs> well, yeah, I watched a lot of it. It was great. Um, Kerry Anderson gave up the steal of four. So I'm going back in the playoffs and trying to figure out, what game was that <laughs> when, when, when Kerry gave up? It was the P.O. game, number two, which I guess is a positional play game on Friday night. After that, uh, the true team Anderson came to play, and it was just overpowering. They were just simply overpowering in the playoffs. Carrie's fantastic, obviously, in Val, but the front end, they're just so much stronger than everybody else. Um, the, the way they can carve rocks, uh, they can really manipulate the stone really strong and, and of course, shoot high percentage all the time. So, you know, I, we just got to give uh, a lot, you know, lots of love to the front end on Carrie Anderson's team because I, I believe that they just are so strong that that's why this team just keeps winning. Um, is a lot to do with the front end. So good for them. Winning over Jennifer Jones in the final. And really, you know what? I think Jennifer Jones did a great job getting to that final with a young team. You could see the pressure was an issue in the playoffs. Not for Jennifer, of course, but for the young players. And that's the way it should be. But to be able to get that experience, and how much is this going to help young Zacharias and young Burgess um, going forward to be able to play in an event with this type of pressure and getting to watch and learn and just bring in all that information from Jennifer Jones. It's a dream come true for uh, for those girls. So they're going to be a lot better for it. At the end of the week, the best team won. And, and there are a lot of good games, great shooting. And, and uh, you know, I said it on our last uh, podcast, Christina Black, 
unbelievable player out of Nova Scotia. I hope that she can team up with some of the other really top players uh, somehow. And because uh, she, she, she's a champion in waiting, I think. She's an amazing player. Not unusual, Kevin, to uh, see teams having to get used to the ice when, when they kick things off. Is it me or did I hear a little more this time than normal competitions that they were having a little trouble getting used to the ice? I think that's fair, Jimmy, especially early. Early in the week, the first half, I think you're right. It was kind of an odd thing the the morning after they re-sandpapered the stones midweek. It actually was straighter the next morning, which is very unusual. But in the end, though, like, like most championship weeks, they have great ice makers and Merklinger's no different. And, and uh, by the end, you know, the ice looked very nice, very nice on the weekend. And, and uh, most of the shots were being made and it, it was it was really good curling and, and, and great. It's just really tough for the ice makers, Jimmy, when they started on Friday and didn't mm-hmm. end until the following Sunday. Right. And and somehow the rocks are going to change and conditions are going to change. The weather's going to change. You're, you're two different seasons. So, so right. you know, the event's going so long, it's it's really tough for the ice makers. So I feel for them. You know, I've made a lot of ice over the years. And when you're trying to make ice for that many days, it's tough to keep it the same all the time just because it's so many days. Yeah. But uh, he did, I, th- I think he did a heck of a job. And on the weekend, the ice looked great. And, and in my opinion, the best team won. And that, that's kind of what we want from a Canadian standpoint, going into the world championships is the best chance to get on that podium. Right. Yeah. I wasn't blaming the ice maker. I've, I've, there's so many factors. Uh, Warren, what's your reaction to the whole week? The building went through probably three different climates uh, during that week in Kamloops. And, and I think that was certainly an issue. And con- concerning the fact that the air up there is normally pretty dry at midweek, it wasn't. And then it got really cold on the weekend. So they had a lot to deal with in a building without dehumidification. So uh, those variations, I think, were pretty normal. I think, again, they did a great job to deal with it in the manner in which they did. My observations, again, as we talked last Friday, I think we have some great young curlers on the horizon. I think that was pretty obvious. Megan Walter celebrated her 21st birthday in Kamloops, and she was skipping wildcard three. So look out for a lot of them in the future. I think some other things of note, uh, as Kevin mentioned, I think the front-end players uh, on Picker and Irishman's team were outstanding. And I think we saw the no-tick rule come into its own. It changed a lot of things. I think we saw a different way of playing with that no-tick rule and the fact how good those leads and seconds were, particularly leads. And I look at the situation with Brian Harris. And in that final game, I think she was 97%. And throughout the week, she threw 99 draws at 92%. It's become to some degree with a no-tick almost like mixed doubles. The play is now very much going towards the center, pretty near uh, on every end. And I also think remark about how quickly they've been able to, with this no-tick rule, throw those draws onto the center line, hardly ever missing it, which is, I thought when that rule first came out, well, they can't hit the center line every time. Yeah, they can. <laughs> so I think we saw a new approach to the, uh, to the game with the no-tick rule. I think it's made it more exciting and uh, far less predictable than it was before. What's your thoughts on that no-tick, Kevin? Well, I, I, I love the idea back when they were even just talking about bringing it in, and, and it's been fantastic, I think, for getting way more uh, aggressive play uh, towards the button area early and ends. A lot more runbacks because of it. Your second has to be so good at that. Uh, now I think that's really important. The third has to be the best curler on the team, if not the second. Isn't that funny, Warren? Used to always be, oh, you had to have somebody, the skip had to be able to hit and draw. The third, you know, draw to set things up. A second was a was a banger. 
Mm -mm. Not anymore. That second no, has to be a tremendous player because they have to do both setting up the end yep. or bailing. And then the third has to do the same. They have to be able to throw the high hard one. And it's just, it's changed the game so much. And it's, it's, it's certainly for the better. The athletes have to be stronger at both the hit game and the soft game. Now, what do you do with the corner guards? That'll be the next thing that they're going to be talking about is yes. Okay. The center guard thing is figured out. If you're touching the line, you can't take it. But now the corner guard, as a defensive move, bumping that rock into the rings and ruling your shooter out of play, then the perfect guard has to be thrown. If not, the come-around tap has made the three is impossible. So that'll have to be the next discussion. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> Put two more we... lines on the ice on each side of the center line from the 12-foot to the hog line. We now can have the power play. It's just like it mixed up. Kind of, right? kind of, uh, just a little different. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway, it's just the evolution of sport, and it's great to see the players are getting that good that we have to talk about this stuff. But I guess that'll be next. You think it's tough to be an ice maker? Wait till uh, going forward, and these uh, ideas that you're talking about when the ice maker has to put in 81 sensors into the ice to go. Okay, well, no, you know, it picked it up. You're not in the line. You're <laughs> <laughs> Curling is like none other sport where, where these things are 10 days long. You, you don't just curl a few games, you, you know, uh, you curl multiple games during the week. And then this freaking playoff thing. I still go back. I think Warren brought up a comment that some guy said, how many chances do you get to lose to be able to win the, to win the Scotties? What's the toughest part of it, Kevin, to go ahead and, and run through the week and do all this and, and win? At what age, Jim? Because that's a big question for the young for the young players. Mm -hmm. It's all about not emptying your tank early in the week and being able to focus for that many days. Uh, young people tend to you'll drop off during the week here and there, lose a few games you shouldn't. Now look at the other end of the scale where the players are getting a little older. It's physical there, mm -hmm. mental as well, but but just wear and tear on the body, especially if you're a front end player. Oh, it's so hard on 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 the body. So, two ways mentally, it's tough that many days. Mm -hmm. Physically, incredibly tough if you're one of the sweepers. Mm -hmm. um, it's a long, it's a long, difficult week. So that's why you see the fitness level of the athlete is increasing so much, to, so that you've still got a lot of gas in the tank when it comes to the semifinal and final. And that's something that changed probably around 2000, 2001. Right. Our, our team started to, to work with a, a trainer. Um, it wasn't really a thing before that. And then uh, going into the 2002 Olympics, I think we had a big advantage because we did that. And now it's commonplace. Now every, every team uh, are, are training like crazy, like, like hockey and um, it's right. the way it is. Right. And, 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 but you can see that in the athletes and how powerful they are. Right. Warren, what was it like back in your day, the, the format of the bar? How many teams were in? You, you curled in the 70s. What, what was the Scotties back then and the Briar? Well, we went through uh, a transition. I mean, in the 70s, it was uh, strictly a round robin. Mm -hmm. And until the territories came into the uh, both the events in 1975, I think, in the men's side, I think later in the women's. But uh, it was 11 teams, and after 1974, it was in 12. And it was 12 teams up until, I guess, 2016. And uh, back mm -hmm. in the old days, it was strictly a round robin, period. And then we went to a three-team playoff in 1980, and then we went to the page playoff in 1995, and that held in there until 2016. <laughs> and then things started to change every year. Traditionally, the Briar started on Monday and ended on Saturday, and I think that was fine. And uh, now we've got the Briar ending starting on Friday and ending a week from the following Sunday. So I, I think it's just too long. It has been for some time. Um, exactly how is that addressed? That's uh, four shows to do that, but I think it's something that has to be looked at going forward. All these events are simply too long. 
Uh, folks, you'll be impressed. I did not give Warren a heads up on that. Do you see how he banged those dates off, Kev? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, 12 teams yeah, on this date. Okay, Warren, we uh, make picks. Every event Give us the results. All right, so uh, here's the way this works, Jim. There's three picks involved here. You had to pick the two uh, finalists. That would be one point for each, and you had to pick the winner. So there's a total of three points in the line here. So Kevin picked McCarvel and Einerson for the final. He got one out of right out of two, but Einerson won, so Kevin got two points. Warren picked Einerson and Jones, but he picked Jones as the winner, and uh, so he got two points. How'd Jim do? Jim, Jim picked Black and Jones, um, and he got one point. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> that's bad, Jim. <laughs> you, you didn't get yeah. zero. <laughs> I got as many points as Kevin did. Yeah. Better than I thought. <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, anyway, we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, launch into some more picks with the Briars. So, the World Juniors are currently in Fusen, Germany. Uh, Warren, I said at the top of the show, you might be surprised how our Canadian teams are doing. They're both there, men's and women's. Bring us up to date. Well, they're not doing too well as of this morning. The record of Canada at the World Juniors is two and nine. Oh no, they've won two games out of nine played so far. The men are at one and four, and uh, they actually won a game today against Turkey, nine to three. The women are at one and five, and they lost today uh, to Japan, twelve to three. The teams that are in the lead at the moment on the men's side: Germany at five and zero, oh, Norway at four and one, Scotland and Switzerland three and two, along with the United States. On the women's side, the Swiss team is at six and zero. Oh, Norway, Scotland, and Sweden are at four and two. So the situation with Canada at the moment, I don't think playoffs are probably on the horizon for them. The big thing they're going to have to be aware of right now is to miss the relegation round, which means they cannot finish in ninth or tenth place, or they'll back in the relegation round as the women were last year. But just let's talk a moment about what's going on here. This, again, is the first year where we're sending a team to the World Juniors a year after they won the Canadian Juniors. A lot of things have happened, I think, to both of these teams. Um, the women's team, the skip of the Nova Scotia team, aged out. And so they had to replace her, and they took the skip from the team they beat in the final last year from Ottawa, Emily Deshane, and mm-hmm. she's skipping that team. So it's not the team that won the Canadian Juniors with a different skip. It's, it's the reverse of that. And we've had this team waiting a year and now they've gone into this event in Fusen, Germany, where they're playing teams from all these other countries that are pretty current. They are probably champions this year. The men's side of things uh, is even as, as confusing. I tried to track this down last night. Landy Rooney, the skipper of that team, from Toronto. And you may remember that because of COVID, there was no juniors in 2021. and 2022, they didn't run any provincials. So they ran an event in Saskatoon that mm-hmm. actually determined the teams that were going to play in the Canadian juniors. That's how Rooney got in there. And trying to follow the trail of what happened to him since then with the aged out players and everything else is very confusing. And here's what's going to happen as well. I also managed to track down, he actually, with a different third, was in the Ontario men's provincial this past year. And in a qualifying game, he actually beat Mike McCune in an A game. So this is a, this is a pretty good player, Landy Rooney, to be able to do that. But here he is at the World Juniors in this now convoluted, crazy situation that the Canadian teams are in, and, he, and he's struggling dearly. Uh, I mean, we could send these teams a year later back in the 70s and 80s, which we were doing in those years, when things were different at the world level, and we could win still a fair amount of them. 
But frankly, I think the way we're going here, if we're going to continue to do this going a year later, I think Canada's going to have a real difficult time with the World Juniors going forward. And I don't think that's good. I think we need to be able to perform well at the World Juniors. Kevin, what do you think? Wow. Yeah. Well, one part you didn't bring up, Warren, that I think is really important is um, at that age, so uh, you're talking 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. So they're just getting done high school, and then they're deciding, okay, what am I going to do for going into college or university or, or what? And there's not a million options uh, for a lot of kids, so they tend to move someplace. But now, like if they happen to win, and then they decide, okay, well, I'm going to move to a different province or, or a different country to go to school, they still have to come back and play that World Junior, but they may not even see their teammates <laughs> for the whole year because of, because of just life. And, and that's good. Like, I don't think kids could, should change their lifelong plan if they want to go to a school in Boston because they specialize mm-hmm. in something that the kid is really good at, go to Boston. But it, it makes it real tricky for Canada to, to get on the podium if the kids haven't seen each other. So this is a really tough thing in modern day, I think, just the way people travel and go to school at that age. And their life just changes a lot, really quick. And I, and I got stuck in the middle of that uh, wait-a-year thing back in the mid-'80s when I was in junior before going to the Worlds. I had to wait a year, and my whole team aged out. I was the only one who was able to play again in junior. So I had two completely different teams, the team that was going to go to the World Championships and the team that wanted to try to win Canada again two totally different teams and you just don't have time to practice enough with both. So, and we ended up losing both. We ended up losing. It was a disaster. We lost the world final mm-hmm. to Scotland, uh, David Aiken, but then we also didn't win even, I, I don't think we even won Alberta. So it was just a disaster. So I feel bad for the, for the kids that have to do this. I hope uh, it switches back again because we want kids to excel and, 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 and go to college, go to university, do well. Um, but the problem is if you've got a curling team and you're going to the Worlds, that could really be a mess because kids could move all over the place. And, and they, I, I think they should. Uh, maybe not everybody agrees with me, but, but I think that's what kids need to do is, is worry about life going forward. Warren, um, honestly, do you think that's why they p- played poorly? Like, would, you, would have you predicted this going in? Uh, they both have had a bad week. I think, I think I'm doing the math. It's like three wins total or something. One for Canada, two. Two wins out of 11 games. Yeah. Did you think this going in, Warren, or was it just just a bad week for these two teams? I think when they made this move, whenever it was four years ago, and it's now finally kicked in, that it was a wrong decision. Having lived through the other situation, probably 15 years at, at the curling candle level, of knowing the problems that it created, and that we fought for probably five years to get rid of it, to be, be able to take the team the same year. And now they've gone back and created an issue, and, and, and things have changed. The World Junior, these other teams, they're playing in men's and women's competitions all the time. They're very mm-hmm. good. And uh, by us doing what we're doing here, uh, we're just convoluting and confusing the whole thing. And it's going to be, I think, very difficult for any Canadian team coming through the juniors to do well at the world level if they continue with this system. You know, Jim, you know, when it comes to uh, hockey, let's take hockey, for example, the World yep. Junior Hockey. When you see who wins uh, there, a bunch of players on that team are going to be top players in the NHL. They just are. And curling's no different. Mm-hmm. If you come through and, and win the World Junior in curling, you've got that confidence, you've made that mark, and you know that down the road, that's a team from whatever country has a real good shot at going to the Olympic Games, going to the World Championships, doing well in the Grand Slam level of tour. And, and that, you know, that, that's what we, we want from our young kids, to, to get on the podium, do well, and then 
continue it on going forward and make sure they mm-hmm. can win. And and I, I just see, I don't, I don't, I don't see that path in, in this in this system. Right. I just don't see the path. Well, we just watched that Zacharias team playing with Jennifer Jones. Uh, that's the, where they came from, right? They mm-hmm. they came through that whole junior system and uh, yeah, great tool. And watch. Tyler Tardy, Tyler Tardy is the other one. So that's where they come from. So I I'm not sure. What has been done here has been the correct decision. Hopefully it's uh, reassessed. But on the other side, it's going to be pretty hard to backtrack now because uh, they've gone a long ways down this road and it's going to be pretty hard to come back. Very good. Okay, let's get behind the kids. Curling Canada, let's improve this. Let's get get back to where we should be. Briar starts Friday in London. The two-pool idea was looked pretty good in, uh, at the Scotties until there was five and three tiebreaker thing and then it got uh got very kind of screwed up nobody commented on that did they weren't on our facebook page <laughs> no there's nothing been going on there at all <laughs> isn't Everybody that something great. the facebook page warren oh my god sorry to interrupt but the facebook page has been crazy yeah. this last week if anybody yeah, anybody know. listening to this that, that doesn't go on there oh my get get on there it's it's been incredible yeah lots going on Kevin, the two pools, Pool A and Pool B, uh, it's going to be the, it's going to be the same way, right? Uh, top three teams, Warren, is that how they're doing it through the round robin? Same playoff, yep, exactly the same as we just went through one more time. You got Matt Dunstone, Kevin Cooey, Reed Carruthers, uh, Kelly Knapp, uh, Darren Molding, uh, Matthew. It looks like Manuel, of course, um, Nathan Young, Jamie Cooey. And Jack, uh, Jake Higgs, that's in Pool A, Kev. You what bet. do you think? Well, I think I think the pools are pretty even. And in Pool A, you know, Matt Dunstone is, has just uh, uh, come to another level. I think his game has really improved again um, lately. Uh, B.J. Colton and, and Ryan uh, Harnden have really helped him, I think. B.J. especially has really helped Matt. They play really well mm-hmm. together. So you got to expect them to be in the playoffs. Kevin Cooey going for his fifth Briar title. He'll, he'll be in there somewhere. Reed Crothers. It's going to be tough for for any of the other teams to break into that top three, I think. Kelly Knapp. The only team that I really see a good opportunity to to break through is uh, Tanner Horgan's a really good curler, and he's got Darren Molding on his team. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Darren Darren will come to play (laughs) for sure. So that's a team that could maybe get into that top three somehow, in my opinion. But those top three are are pretty darn good with uh, Dunstone, Cooey, and and uh, Carruthers. It'll be tough for Horgan to to sneak into there for uh, for the top three. Boy, that was a long storied career for Darren Molding with uh, was it New Brunswick <laughs> that he went to <laughs> curl with? That's right for a little bit. Yeah, it was quite a long career with Mister Botcher though. Yes, I know quite a while. And uh, but Darren, yeah, a great guy, and uh, and uh, and and I think he's going to help Tanner a lot. Because Darren's, you know, he's a, Darren's a really smart guy, and he he understands the game really well. So once again, an older player helping out a young player, which is I think fantastic, and that's really helped Matt Dunstone with BJ. I think the same thing Tanner being helped by Darren. Right. We'll watch for that. Warren, how do they how do they pick who gets in what pool? The pools are all developed by the current Canadian ranking of every team. So that's. They virtually split it down the middle. One goes left, next one goes right, and that's how they pretty much establish the pools. In my opinion, the B pool may be a little bit stronger than the than the A pool. I think, as Kevin mentioned, that A pool, yep, the four teams that he highlighted, I think, are the only ones that we know of at this point in time that are probably going to be uh, 
in the running. But in the B pool, you've got Butcher, Gushu, and Sturme. They're the top three, I believe. But then you've got Mike McCune down there in fourth position. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of other teams that can do a lot of damage, I think. Uh, Felix Aslan in Quebec and uh, Jacques Gaucher from BC. Both those teams, I think, could do pretty well. And I think, again, below that, pretty much unknowns as far as what they may or may not be able to do. So maybe there's uh, one or two teams uh, that can create, I think, some damage in B more so than A, but time will tell. I wonder if it's the year for uh, Mike McEwen to maybe break through a little. I mean, the guy's been there year after year. New team in Ontario. Yeah, it's a good team. Is Ryan Fry on the team? Brent Lang, yeah, a good team for sure. You definitely can't count them out. You know, we talked about the young strength in the Scotties. This is a really good young team. Now, young, so near the end, it'll be you know it'll be tough for them, but that's okay. But I think they're going to win some games. To to Warren's point, they're going to win some games against some big teams. They're good enough for that, definitely. If they can get on a real roll, they might find themselves in the in the final three as well. So you're probably right, Warren. With uh, with Goche, this is a tougher pool with them and, and Mike McEwen, both outside of the proposed top three. So interesting. And Aslan, too. I mean, he he won the Canadian Mixed Championship this year. He was almost on the podium at the Tier 2 event in Grand Prairie. They're right there with a couple of breaks here and there. I think that team as well can, uh, can knock off some big teams. So I think maybe from that point of view, the B pool probably is a little bit... Uh, how would I put it? Maybe a little more, less predictable than maybe the April is. Mm-hmm. Is that Richard Hart or is that his grandson who's playing on that team? That's his son. But I Joey like that, Hart. I like that you said that, though. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Richard. Rich, Rich will be phoning Jimmy. It's what Jim Jerome that said that, not Warren Hanson and Kevin Martin. <laughs> no, no, Rich. It was not me. It was not I me, I see Rich. Joey Hart and I'm like, what What do they got? A 70-year-old on their team, too? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> you always get the first father-son teams, Kev, but I thought maybe we got the first grandfather and son uh, and grandson team going. <laughs> I know, Rich. I kid, Rich. I kid. I kid, my friend. Uh, we're going to do our picks, Warren? We can do that, yes, Jim. Why don't you go, Warren? All right. Well, I think on the on the A-pool side, we'll make it pretty simple. Manitoba, Dunstan, Alberta, Cooey, and uh, Wildcard, Crothers. I think uh, it's going to be tough to not be one of those three. I think on the B pool, again, Botcher, Gushu. Sturmy, again, I think their, their inexperience could be a little bit of a challenge here. That's why I'm going to go with Mike McCune for the third spot. So Botcher, Gushu, and McCune. Okay, Kevin. Well, you know, I, I'm the same on the pool, eh? I really, I just don't know if anybody can break into that top three with Dunstone, Cooey, and Crothers. I, they're, they're all so good. Um, so I don't know about that. Uh, when it comes to the bottom, I, I will put Karsten uh, Sturme in. He would have been to a lot of Briars by now if he was from some other province, but just hasn't had the opportunity. So I think they're going to be okay. So I've got uh, Botcher and, and Brad Guju and, uh, and Karsten Sturme. That's my final three on the, on the B side. But I'm not overly confident because that pool, there's a lot of teams that could find, to find their way into the top three. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, so my, my pool B is what we're looking for right now, aren't we? Whichever pool you want to jump into first, Jim, dip your toe in the pool. (laughs) I'm going Mike McEwen. Okay. He'll be in there. Okay. I'll go Botcher and Gushu. So you're the same as Warren. I'd stick your neck out, Jim. (laughs) Okay. I'm changing one of my picks. I want to be different. Okay. I'm going Mike McEwen. I'm going Brendan Botcher. And I'm going to go on Kevin's recommendation and yours. Felix Aslin from Quebec. That's a good picture. 
Come on, Jimmy. Leaving Brad Guju out of the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> That's like saying Connor McDavid's not going to make a goal this year. <laughs> Is that ever a stupid pick I just made? <laughs> okay, I'm an uh, Alberta guy, Kevin Cooey. Uh, I love Reed Carruthers. I'm going to go with Darren Molding. There you go. They have a good chance. They really do. Oh, you guys always say that, and I get my ass kicked. Tanner Horgan's a good player. He's another one of these guys. He's right there. He's not far away. Just young. Young and really good. Yeah, it's great. Okay, there we go. Uh, got all our picks. Good luck to everyone in London. Uh, great host city, by the way. Uh, it's not the first time it's been there. Uh, I, was, I think I was there the last time. And I ran into Norm MacDonald in the uh, hotel lobby, the great Canadian comedian. I felt like an idiot. I ran up to him and went, Norm. I'm a huge fan, Norm. I'm a huge fan. He said, get lost <laughs> and walked away. <laughs> this is the third time the Briar Way played in London, 1974, 2011, and now 2023. And actually won there in 1974, the first one. We won it. Wow. Wow. There we go. Yeah. We're, Congratulations, we're, Warren. Weren't we in the London in 06? No, 2011. I guess we were in 11 as well. I thought when, when Johnny got hit by the car, yep. the first time we played together. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Morris was walking his, his sister's dog uh, before the briar. I remember Ben Hebert phoning me. He says, Skipper, we got we have problems. John got hit by a car. I said, no way. That's impossible. Come on. Anyway, yeah, yeah. But luckily, John saw the car coming, jumped up so that it didn't hit him in the legs. But he went, you know, crashed the windshield and got a real bad concussion. Unreal. And and for the first four or five ends of the early games in Briar, he could he played pretty good. But the last half of the game, he has major headaches, of course. Oh, so he no. played, yeah. he played, but uh, quite a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your first Briar together was seven or eight? A seven. It was with uh, Walchuk in Regina in 06, so 07. Okay, so s- s- seven was Hamilton. Oh, was it? Okay. Anyway, it was, uh, yeah, that was quite a story. And then 08, I was getting into another Johnny Moat story. So then 08, he's uh, helping a, a buddy of his, I'm not going to say who, but a buddy of his in a bar, and they end up getting in a fight uh, with some guys, and he ends up uh, breaking his hand right before the Briar the next oh. year. So he played the next year, the Briar 08 was in Winnipeg, yeah. and he ended up wearing a, like a, a kind of a casty thing on his hand for curling uh, in that Briar, <laughs> right. and he, he played great. We ended up going undefeated in that Briar. So the next Briar, we got our fifth player two weeks before, say, okay, you got to watch, your job is to watch John Morris for the next two weeks. Watch <laughs> so he doesn't get hit by a car or get in a bar fight. You know. <laughs> in hockey right now, they're sitting guys, right? Because the trade deadline. But you'll say, okay, look at boys, by the way, no going skiing, no snowmobiling, okay? No snowboarding or any of that stuff. No jumping in front of cars, okay? And no getting in bar fights, all right? <laughs> Johnny Mo, he's a classic, yeah. Good luck, everybody in London. Okay, time for Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, the UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. Are they going to use the electronic handles at the Briar? They used them at the Scotties for the first time in three years. But there was a little bit of an issue with them. What happened? These handles were originally developed by a company in Saskatoon, Startco. And when these handles first came out, 
they were great. There was no issues with them. But as time went on, the handles got older and the batteries weren't being replaced often as often as they should be. And so there started to become problems with them. So I'm not sure what went on here in the past few years. I've asked different people the question, what's been going on with those handles? But apparently they went to another manufacturer. There was problems with the manufacturing. It wasn't as good as it should be. And so they, they, they tried to use them, I think, at the events in Calgary during the pandemic. And they virtually quit after a couple of draws because there were so many issues with the handles, with them either activating when they shouldn't have or not activating when the players turned them over. So we go into Kamloops, and uh, they've got the handles. And I thought, when I saw that they were being used, I thought, okay, they must have certainly got everything sorted out with regard to any kind of problems with them. Well, the next thing you know, um, somebody's going to throw their final stone at the end, and they're waving for an official, because when you flip the rock over, the handle has to activate, and they're flipping the rock over, and it's not activating. So I kind of go, like, <laughs> what the hell's going on? Um, these things have to work flawlessly. They can't be by chance. And uh, I think it's a matter of how they're taken care of. There, sh- there should almost be a person on site that that's their entire job. Those handles should be checked probably after every draw. The batteries need to be replaced regularly, and they have to be packaged and handled properly. Uh, anyway, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's my issue, is the fact that you just simply can't have a skip going to throw their final rock at the end and the hand- handle doesn't activate because it sets, it breaks their trend of thought, breaks everything. So they got to figure out a way of figuring this out. I, I believe in the handles because we're going to, at some point in time here, somebody's going to be throwing a rock for a million dollars. So the line is important. And I think as we head up in higher competitions, the hog line handles are the way of doing it, but it's got to be done properly. I've even thought of the fact of maybe there should be another line put in a dark one, maybe about a foot in front of that hog line and the hog line lighter, because when you're throwing... You have that's in your peripheral vision, and it's kind of a sense and a feel. You know where that line is. But, man, I was watching last week, and some of them some so close, so close, so close. Players have to start to get themselves just a little bit back from that line so they don't take the risk. Having said all that, there were a total of seven violations uh, at the Scotties in Kamloops. I think this is something that has to be discussed, dealt with. Uh, we don't have many rules in curling. But I think this is one that because of the game originally designed to throw from the standing position, the farther we get down the sheet of ice, the more problem we're going to have with scoring. And we'll have to soon have the seven rock rule with uh, the no tick tick rule or whatever. <laughs> Kevin maybe has a different opinion on it. But I think, uh, again, that's my point. It's, it, it's got to be dealt with, but it has to be dealt with properly. All right. All that being said, Kev, you certainly have to have the electronic handles. You know what? And we used them for so long, to Warren's point, and they worked so well. The Saskatchewan company, I, I can't remember the name of the company, but they worked so well. And it's, there's been issues lately, but that's okay. They'll figure it out. But I think it's important that we have some sort of a, a mechanism. Who knows what technology will bring next as to, mm-hmm. to how it can be decided if the rock, the hand is off in time before the hog line. But we need to do that. Um, it's really important for young players, for kids coming up, that they learn to release that rock automatically because like, one thing about it, Jim, is that even if I go out and curl now, I haven't played in years, my release point will be the same because I've thrown tens of thousands of rocks. So my release point will be the same. I don't think I ever had a, a line call with the electronic handles. I had one. I had one when a Magoo was on the line in the Hamilton Briar in 91, but I was about mm-hmm. four feet short of the line. It was a guard, for goodness sakes. But anyway, I digress. Um, but when it comes to the electronic handles, I think it's really important we have them, especially in junior 
Canadians and stuff so that the young kids over their big, you know, their practice time when they're young, they automatically get that release point a foot or so short of the hog mm-hmm. line. And that way when they get into adult curling, it's not a problem. The issue is if the kids don't have those electronic handles, they don't realize they're packing the rock a little too long. And mm-hmm. then the first time they use the handles, they're losing a whole bunch of rocks. And then that's a problem. You know, when you, when you give me that number, Warren, only seven hog line violations, uh, you know, if you quickly do the math, that every curler is going to throw two rocks per game, 10 ends. Every, every curler is throwing 20 rocks. You know, times where there's like 80, 80 rocks thrown per game, per team, per day. There's thousands of rocks that are thrown. So if it's only seven, that, that's pretty good. It is. You know, uh, that's great. But the fact still remains. Um, I, I think just from everybody's point of view, I mean, when the handles aren't being used, I sit there, I mean, I've watched so many curling rocks in my life, but I, I, some of those people coming out and I'm going like, my God. They are, they, mm-hmm. they, are they over? Are they not? And, and then even with the handles, there's, they're releasing the rock, and I'm going like, wow, they look like they were right on the line, but the light was green. So I think it's from everybody's comfort level that I think that they need to be there, and there's no chance that you're ever accusing anybody mm-hmm. of fouling at the line if, uh, if the handles are used. Anyway. And Jimmy, I got to make a correction. It was not Hamilton when I got the hog line violation, the rock pulled. It was against Ed Wernick on the end sheet, in Halifax, in 1995, that's when it was uh, it was pulled. I said Hamilton. I was incorrect. Good, good regroup. Well, well I was good. just thinking to myself, yeah. Hamilton. It couldn't have been Hamilton. It's funny the way my brain works or doesn't work, Jim. Sometimes, but it was <laughs> it was late in the round robin or a tie break game against Ed Wernick, and I was just throwing a guard, and it got pulled. So then Eddie had a half rock double. If he makes it, he would have won the game, but he ended up not making the double. Yeah, it's so difficult for those that you can't really do it visually. But I mean, I can go back as to history how this happened. So I mean, after the rule was changed in 1974, the latter 70s was a wild west and uh, people were sliding all over the place and it was a lot of discussion. And so finally at the 1980 Briar, because there was a lot of controversy, it was decided that there would be officials put in place to monitor the hog line, to record violations, couldn't enforce record. And there was two sets of violations that would be recorded, very obvious and maybe. Out of the very obvious, which I can frankly tell you, and I won't mention the player's name, was like three feet over, it was 120 were very <laughs> obvious. And there was like 200 yeah, maybe. Yeah, you got to name the name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I won't. I t- well, I will. Tim Horrigan from Victoria. I don't know if you've ever, Anyway, I mean, he, he was over, over, over. So, I mean, this was when the f- move started to go down the track of something had to be done because it was coming too crazy. Compare that to now with only seven people with those handles, I think, is, is, is quite a difference. Join us next week when we read a lengthy email from Tim Horrigan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you brought up Ed Wernick, uh, the straw man, you know. Uh, he probably holds the record for rocks picking. How did that happen, uh, with you chewing on two bales of straw every uh, every game? Uh, email us, insidecurling at gmail.com, and maybe your email will get read. It's time for Mailbag, brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. We've got a uh, pretty interesting email from Clifford. Uh, McBeath, I think, who lives in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Uh, everyone agrees, everybody, 100% of people agree that you've got to grow the game and get the young people involved. And he sends us this email. Never miss a podcast, boys. You guys are the best. My seven-year-old son and I traveled to Kamloops to watch a few draws 
while on our ski vacation in Vernon. I was really surprised that there was no entertainment or exhibits on the concourse. No hot shots curling for kids, no trophy display, no Hall of Fame display. I had promised my son and assumed there would be a lot of live interactive exhibits, and there was nothing. The Cool Shots curling table wasn't even open. When we discuss attendance, these are some things that we need to help attract a younger crowd. Perhaps even free admission for children. Thank you, gentlemen, for providing us with great content, and that's from Clifford. Yeah, I'm surprised, actually. Uh, um, I, I didn't go to the Scotties this time, but I certainly have been to lots of them over the years. Um, and usually there are activities, um, various activities. People can try things like curling, but obviously not on the ice, but, but you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Ron Tibble usually, usually has cool curling there. Um, Ron Tibble is the inventor of, of, uh, of, of the... Uh, it's almost like shuffleboard, but with really cool little rocks, and uh, Ron Dibble mm-hmm. invented that. He usually has that there, but I'm surprised. So hopefully that changes. I think it's great that we have kids come and be able to try, because a lot of kids that come, especially with the schools, more, a lot of them have never tried curling. So they, they like to you know, take part in, in stuff along the concourse during the game. I think it's important, and I didn't know it wasn't happening, but hopefully it will in, uh, in London at the Briar. I know from my time, we, we did always try to have a lot of activities going on in the building or in the uh, same structure where the patch was. So I don't know what's happened, but I, I have heard that there has been a lot of uh, cutback and, and uh, things aren't being done quite the way they once were. But I, I think what he's brought up is very important. If we're going to get building, people into the buildings, it's got to be full entertainment for them once they get there. And various things need to be happening to make sure that there's a reason to go to the building. I have many ideas about that that uh, go back to even having an app that uh, once you get in the building that you all of a sudden can access mm-hmm. a lot of stuff through the app that uh, you can't get unless you're in the building. But uh, I think Clifford brings up some really good points that we need to emphasize activities in the facilities that are hosting these events if we want to get people to uh, to attend. And I think his idea about children is a good one as well. I, th- I think there's a whole need to regroup pricing being charged for these events because things have changed and I think we have to try to do whatever possible to get people in the building in my point of view. You know my favorite part of going to the Oilers games used to be Kev is uh, between periods they would have youth hockey teams play a to play Mm -hmm. a 10 minute game you know Uh, and you wonder if they could do something like that with curling to have kids come on the ice. The other one I love soccer where they introduce these teams in the World Cup and they got kids who walk out with each team you know, and they carry the trophy and they stand beside them during the anthems and stuff. And, and often during uh, those hockey games, they put the camera on, on kids' team that they've showed up at the game and, and announced the school they're from and stuff like that. And uh, if I ran it, this thing would be better. Everything would be better with you, Jesse. Exactly. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Included with Prime. Everyone just relax, okay? Just relax for a second. You're probably freaking out because the first part of the show, it's like, are they going to talk about the freaking Scotties? What happened here? The record that was set? Absolutely we are. Uh, and we're joined uh, today by Carrie Anderson. Uh, in the House is brought to you by Goldline. 
Goldline Curling's new impact broom maximizes performance for carry, hold, and carve. And we hear a lot about carving. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com. Come on, Aunt Carrie, you don't need to knock. Mikasa Sukasa. My house is your house, Warren. Carrie Anderson, I'm calling you now the Serena Williams of curling, uh, the, Haley, the Haley Wickenheiser of curling, the Tiger Woods, the Michael Jordan, uh, the Roger Federer. Um, what happened this week is just absolutely astounding. Uh, we've, all, we've all agreed that, you know, certainly the toughest national championship to win is, is Canada. Everyone would agree uh, around the world with that. To win a Scotties is is to win, you know, the, the greatest event, uh, you know, of any curler's life and then to go on to the Worlds. But uh, to do it once is great. To do it twice, three times, to do it four, four times is wicked. But how about four times in a row? Everyone knows by now. Uh, Carrie, you don't need to knock. This is our in the house. You, okay, you now have the key. You're, we're handing out our first key to inside curling. We are... Very excited to be joined by the one and only Carrie Anerson. Carrie, congratulations and thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, it's just so, so surreal. So um, just over the moon and excited. Let me pour you a drink. What do you drink? What would you like? You know, Ice rum, please. <laughs> little rum. Uh, this sounds like the go-to curling drink. Uh, unbelievable. Um I don't even know where to start, Carrie, with this. I, I, I watched it all week. It was fantastic. Um, there were so many, so many exciting parts um, of, of your story. There has been over the years, especially the, especially the last four. You won the thing, of course, uh, and then, uh, and by the way, slipped slightly under the radar that Shannon has won five now, five Scotties. Yes, she has. <laughs> you won the MVP. But you gave it to uh, Brianne Harris, and uh, I saw it last night. I'm not crying. You're crying, okay? I'm not crying. You're crying. Uh, what a what a tender moment that was, and uh, for I, I don't know who captured it, but it really was something uh, that you did. That and it, you, you weren't just it wasn't just a one off. You certainly had this in mind to give her this MVP. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I definitely had that in mind. Um, it seems like usually the skip gets it. In that moment, as soon as I got it, I knew that I was uh, going to give it to Brienne because she's been an absolute warrior out there and just giving it her all. She, I'd never heard a complaint from her all week if she was sore or anything. So um, she was brushing like crazy. She played outstanding. And um, yeah, she gave it her all. And uh, she definitely deserved that award. Uh, we were just talking before you came on. Superstitions. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I did. I did see you wear your glasses, and I said, I don't, I don't remember wearing glasses. And I said, well, you must have contacts, but that's not the case. But you, but you wore the glasses. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm a little superstitious, so sometimes when we get on a good streak, I don't. Uh, I keep the same thing, doing the same thing. Um, so uh, when we lost to Jones, I guess, hey, it's time to change it up. I put my glasses on and, uh, yeah, I got to change my shirt. And <laughs> <laughs> so I have the, just a few quirky things that I do um, that are superstitious. And But, uh, yeah, and, again, we, uh, as a team, I guess we are superstitious because we did the same way as we did last year. <laughs> 
how much did it mean to you guys? Uh, this was this final was kind of like the draw of the century, uh, t- taking on uh, a fellow provincial team. Um, how did you guys feel about that going in? I mean, that must have been a moment where you went, okay, here we go. You know, this is uh, th- this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. When we saw the one. A two game or I don't know what what it's called. Yeah, what they um, call when, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jones and uh, McCarvel. Um, when Jones won, I knew that I wanted to get to that final and play them. It, they're a great team, and I knew it would be a good game. And uh, Jen's beaten me in the past, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, we knew that they were going to play well and, and they did play really well. And, but we got some opportunities that we capitalized on and, uh, we were excited for that matchup and knew it would probably be good for viewers. <laughs> well, absolutely. No, no doubt. Someone from Selkirk's not supposed to win this thing. Never mind from the Gimli curling club. Tell us how this has all gone down. Are you, are you back home now? I suspect you are. Yeah, I'm back home now. I got home, uh, Pretty early uh, on Sunday or on Monday, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's so nice to be home. And I haven't uh, really been out in the public yet, uh, so I've just been waiting for things to calm down. I've been getting so many messages. I had uh, a friend put up a big sign on my house, <laughs> and then our neighbor across the road has a sign out on her driveway. So uh, it definitely feels so special and. Uh, pretty amazing to be in the record books <laughs> good for you kevin first of all congratulations what a massive win uh, same i don't even know where to start there's so much um sean and i uh, my wife shauna we we're sitting watching the game of course and and the whole week i just have to ask you the advantage you've got over i, I think the whole field maybe you know, maybe that's a bit exaggerated i'm not sure being able to carve the stone better than everybody else um we just saw some real incredible uh, manipulation of the curling stone. Uh, I want you just to get into that a little bit because it, it, on TV, it just shows remarkably well. Yeah, they're definitely amazing sweepers. Pretty lucky to have them as my front end, and uh, they have been working really hard in the off season as well. So, Yeah, and I thought that was a class thing to do to give the MVP away. That was awesome. I, we got to get into this uh, superstition thing because uh, a lot of athletes are. Um, uh, I played most games with three coins in my pocket, which is weird. But people do stuff. What? what go a little deeper into that because I'd love to know what you need to do. I don't know. I don't know if it's a need. I don't know how to explain yeah. it. How so you can venture on the ice feeling good. That's too funny. I used to put them in my curling shoes, pennies. If I find a penny, I what? used to put them in my curling shoe. <laughs> but that I don't do that nuts. anymore. Um, but I do get into like a superstition of like not changing my socks or my shirt. Ooh. So I ask the girls, I'm like, girls, do I, do I smell? And they're like, nope, you're good. You're good. And I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> they just don't want you to miss. That's true. But uh, I know I actually like try and smell myself. And I'm like, do I smell? <laughs> You mean wear the shirt without washing it between uh, games? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. But I also don't do all the sweeping and stuff like that. It would be different right. if I did that. So I'm mostly just losing my voice from that's yelling. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, that's usually about it or like taking the same route on the way to the rink. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> 
so you win. You win another championship, four in a row, unreal. But then, to your point, get up in the morning and you get on a flight and you get home as soon as you can, which I think almost everybody would do. What's it like? I try to get to, to tell everybody who, who's watching the show, what's it kind of like to be the champ and the attention and what happens? What happens next? Um, it's definitely been crazy. My phone's been blowing up. My email wasn't working. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Um, it definitely doesn't get old. Um, you, you only get this for so long, so you got to take advantage of it while you can. So um, as soon as we uh, won, we had to do paperwork and stuff and get ready for Sweden. And so that took us to about like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. So then our family and friends were all at a uh, restaurant right across the street. So we went over there and had a drink and some appies and then headed back to the room. And by that time, it was 1.30 in the morning and... I got an hour of sleep and was up at four to catch a plane. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what, when do you get into, you mentioned Sweden. Um, when do you get in there, into the world? Uh, because it's quite a, quite a time change. Yeah. So we're leaving March 12th. It starts on the 18th, so we'll have a few days there to adjust. All right. Well, congratulations, Carrie. Thank you. Mega accomplishment, uh, particularly with regard to how you had to do it. Let's talk about that for a moment. For, for the second year in a row, because the playoff system going that's being used, you finished on top of the heap after the round robin. You've got to go out and play a game and you lose it. And you've got to come back and win three games in a row, which is difficult under any circumstances. And my idea always of a playoff system, uh, once you get into that point, if you lose a game, you go back one. So having to win two, that's okay, but three is not that great. What do you think of uh, the playoff you've got had to go through? Do you do you like it? Would you like to see something different? What would be the ideal system from your point of view? Yeah, it's definitely a strange uh, uh, system. Um, we had thought like either have like the one the person that comes out of uh, the first out of each pool, maybe playoff, and then that person that team goes straight to the final, uh, something like that. But I also miss the old traditional way where you get to play everyone. So I don't know. It's it's tough. It's a it's a toss up. Um, I know we've uh, taken the long route each time, and uh, when your back's against the wall, you know you have to come out and play, and that's just something that we uh, we do. Like having a tough loss, like we did, but we started off not so great, but finished really well. So it was nice to at least continue or to get better during that game instead of we could have easily given up after we gave up that four under, and so we were quite happy with our performance uh, for the last half of that. So going into the, our next games, we were pretty confident that we would come out uh, shooting like we have. Yes, you certainly did, particularly your front end. Again, Brianne, outstanding. That final game, 97%. And I think the really amazing number for her is she threw 99 draws during the week, and the average on those shots was 92%. With this no-tick rule, I'm, I'm sure that's made the difference because uh, – you know, you know, there's going to be two front guards go up. The lead's got to get the sec first one around in front of the forefoot. The second one around's got to be a couple of feet in front of that, and, and she did it remarkably every time. What's your opinion on the no-tick rule after having gone through this? And I think we've all now had a chance to really see the results of uh, the no-tick. What's your thoughts? Yeah, um, I like not having the no-tick. It definitely makes it uh, much, like, a lot interesting, like, towards the end of the game. So, um yeah, I don't mind it. And uh, 
I know Brianne gets her rocks in some really good spots. Um, we are never really chasing, but if your lead doesn't, then you're going to start to chase in those ends. So um, I don't mind it. It's, it seems uh, to be working for a lot of teams too. So you're going to the Worlds for the fourth time. The three previous haven't exactly been ideal circumstances for you. The first one, you had to miss it because of pe- pandemic. Then the second one was played in the bubble in Calgary. And uh, the third one was played in Prince George. But again, the whole situation was more or less bubble as well. So that had to be challenging, to say the least. I think coming through those two you played in with a bronze medal is commendable. Uh, certainly in today's world, at the world championship level, a bronze medal is a, a, a mega accomplishment. So now you're going into Sweden. You've now got to go through a mega time change. You're going into another country. How do you feel about playing in this world? How are you going to prepare maybe differently? What are your thoughts about it all, going all, all the way to Sweden? Yeah, we're definitely excited. Uh, some of our family and friends are coming, so uh, that makes it even more special. We're really um, looking forward to this and for a normal world. <laughs> we went to Japan this year and we got the um, used to like that kind of travel and things like that. So that was good to prepare us for this. And um, I think uh, we're ready for it and we're going to start practicing early next week and then right up until when we leave. So um yeah, we're very excited. So I see it's in a place called Sundviken, and looking on the map, it looks like it's a couple of hours probably north of Stockholm. Is that a curling area, do you know, or what do you know about the uh, the city it's being held in? I don't know a whole lot. I haven't really got to look it up yet, um, but I hear it's uh, really beautiful there. So um, we're looking forward to that and even touring around a little bit. Well, I'd like to talk about Vel. You guys don't have much for friction at all. Well, I shouldn't say that. At least not noticeable. (laughs) (laughs) But what's it like? What's it like? It seems great. Oh, we get along really well. Um, She's an amazing third and, you know, she supports me and, uh, you know, we uh, uh, definitely try to keep things light out there and, um, yeah, just what I... When I feel that we're clicking at our best is like when I, when I put the broom down and she's like, yeah, I love it, Carrie. Or, you know, she's um, and she helps me out with the reading the ice as well and also making those big clutch shots when if we need to get out of trouble. So um, it's been an amazing uh, last five years. I don't think there are many names on both the National Men's Trophy and the National Women's Trophy. But I think your coach, Reed Crothers, is on both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, so I, we were talking about that. And you know what? You guys go to Sweden and win. Guess what else he's on? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> both, he'd be on both of the World Trophies. Yeah. Thoughts on your coach? Reed's been such an asset for this team. We're so lucky to have him and so glad we brought him on board. He definitely keeps things light and... Um, tells us some jokes sometimes and yeah we absolutely love having him a part of this team uh when we call a timeout he's to the point and just tells me what to play and how to ice it what and whatever he's seeing so um that definitely helps as well yeah i like i heard him a couple times sort of going okay come on let's go yeah when he was walking away after you guys collaborated carrie the the cool thing about 
curling. And the cool thing about curlers uh, who are the best in the world, like yourself, is they constantly talk about the growth of the game. Um, you know, it's, it's, we do see in, in your sport the cream rises to the top a lot, and, and you so deserve uh, what you're doing. Uh, Christina Black was kind of this sentimental uh, skip from Nova Scotia through it. People were talking about Black to the future was the big sign that, that people had. Uh, of all these, the, these last four, Carrie, do you see the game still growing? And was, was this the most competitive, and it, or, or is it getting more and more competitive as we go along? I would say this is definitely the most competitive that we've seen. Christina Black's team was uh, unreal all week. But that wasn't um, even out of the blue, though, because they've when they played with Marianne, they were really good, too. I, I played against them, and they did really well. So, yeah, it's all what you put into the game. And um, if you work hard at it and do the travel and things like that, and, yeah, it, the results will show. So, um a lot of the teams are getting uh, getting really good. When you think back, uh, I, I love to ask people who've, who've competed at a high level like you have. We talk about the dream. Uh, it's every curler's dream in Canada, of course, to, to get to the national final. And I don't know if anyone would dream as big as, as winning four, four in a row. <laughs> uh, when, when did you think uh, in your life uh, that you looked up and went, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to live out this dream uh, when, when did it all start? Can you remember that far back? <laughs> That's a long time ago. Um, but, um, <laughs> well, definitely like just watching, um, my uncle Greg back in 2000 and when he won and, uh, also, uh, watching Sandra Schmirler and Jennifer Jones and, um, I knew that that's something that I wanted to do and I wanted to chase my dreams and, uh, I knew that I had to work extremely hard at it and find a group of girls that all wanted the same exact goal as me. When I put this team together, we all uh, knew what we wanted and what we wanted to accomplish. And we never, ever thought we would win four Scotty's titles in a row. But um, it's pretty amazing. And I have... Uh, Never been so proud of my team. Uh, we've worked extremely hard over these last few years. How, how big is your team, Carrie? Um, you know, this is a day and age when uh, people are doing more off the ice with training and, and nutrition and in the gym and sports psychology. Tell us about your team then. How, how big is it? Because people would love to get inside your head going, how, how are you possibly doing this uh, year after year? All of us are very committed to going to the gym in our off season. And mm -hmm. also um, some of us work with sports psychology, uh, hypnotherapy. That's something that um, I myself have definitely been uh, working on. As a skip, <laughs> Kevin would know, um, it's a big mental game. So um, making sure you're in a great mental space is a huge part of the game. And um, I've been working with Adam and him and I chat quite often. Yeah, it's definitely uh, helped with um, my mental side of the game. Well, one, one part that, uh, Carrie, for, for being mentally ready is, is the business side. Because you mentioned it's been nuts for you since, since that last rock stops and you've won again. Uh, I guess, how do, you, how do you deal with the business side? And, and you mentioned also organizing 
all your family and friends and stuff that are going to go to Sweden. How, how, do, how does that all happen in behind the scenes? Well, we definitely uh, let our families do that. We don't do anything. <laughs> They're all on their own. They can figure that out. Even my husband's like, can you book my flight? I was like, nope, I'm not doing any of that. You're all on your own. You and your friends can figure it out. Now that I don't work at Bettle anymore, I'm able to uh, do a little bit more and prioritize my day a lot better than uh, before. We usually jam-pack everything, and it just became very overwhelming. So just been spreading out my interviews and things like that or passing them off to my teammates and uh, just making sure that I'm getting my rest as well. What's hypnotherapy? Yeah, um, Val and I have actually been doing that, and we enjoy it. It's kind of like they put you into uh, a little bit of a sleep, and you... uh, yeah, you just kind of talk through things, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, talking while you sleep. A lot of people are going to think I'm an expert at hypnotherapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> how about before we go, Carrie? Uh, good, good one. You gave Warren a little dig. Uh, we've been doing some. Uh, we we've been doing some picks, <laughs> and uh, you came on and went, "How's that, Hanson? Proved you wrong." <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, the last time we were on, oh, you you and Val just seemed to not be playing very well in those finals. Oh. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, good, good stuff. Um, the best curler on the planet right now is Carrie Anderson, and uh, boy, what a week it was for you guys. And uh, March twelfth, uh, you're going to be on your way to have a sauna over in Sweden and uh, and knock it out uh, for Canada. Uh, you're, you're an unbelievable representative of the country, Carrie, and uh, we couldn't be happier to watch what you did and, and watch what you're going to do uh, at the Worlds going forward. Th- thanks a million, Carrie, and congratulations again. Thank you so much, guys. We're absolutely honored uh, to be able to represent Canada again on the world stage, and uh, we're looking forward to it, and uh, we want to bring gold home for Canada. Keep wearing the glasses, okay? Don't you should sleep with them on, okay? Know, Never right? take them off. I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Carrie. Congratulations again. Awesome. Good luck. Thanks, Carrie. Good luck. All the best. Thanks, Warren. Bye. Well, there she goes, boys. Man, she's poised for victory, isn't she? You're not, I don't want to say low-key, but boy, does she ever have her wits about her, Warren? Oh, yes, and uh, obviously listens to our show because she was right on top of our predictions, which I thought was pretty funny. Right. Kevin Hansen always says we got to make sure we're sending the best teams to the Worlds. Uh, no argument here, huh? No argument. No, and you know you can see it in her eye that she's she's ready to play well over there. They're they're going to be really close to uh, to bringing it home. I think she's she's ready to go. You can just tell her, yep. uh, yeah, her her body language. She's she's antsy. You know she's ready to go, but uh, yeah, it's a few more days yet. Yeah, it's feisty, huh? I mean, she's just a slip of a girl. Uh, and I love what she had to say when she was watching the the round robin and the playdowns and had her eyes glued on Jennifer Jones. And when Jennifer got to the final, she's like they're rubbing her hands together going, I've been waiting for this for a long time. So good luck to Carrie. Okay, well, that's a wrap, boys. Uh, what a highlight to have uh, Carrie on. That's like 48 hours after she won this thing. Uh, what, a, what a great representative of the sport. Um, I love this girl. 
Uh, before we go, we got an email from Garnet Howells from the Hollywood Curling Club in L.A. Yes, there's curling in L.A. Garnet told us about a great charity event uh, that's going on in Duluth. It's being organized by two of the greatest curlers of all time in the USA, Tyler George and Chris Plies. Beautiful cause here. The event is called the House of Hearts Pro-Am Charity Bondsfield and is being held March 16th to the 18th. Over the years, check this out. They're doing something right. They've raised over $700,000 for childhood hunger in the U.S. For more info, go to hohduluth.org. We want to extend a big thank you to Rod Paulson, and he handles all of our Facebook stuff. His company is called In-House Strategies. Uh, He's been with us for a long time now. You want to send us an email, we read them each and every show, insidecurling at gmail.com. Thanks again to our fabulous sponsors. We encourage you to support them. Go place a bet, okay? That's what we're doing next uh, when the briar comes up, boys. We're, we're going to lay some money. We're going to have a little skin in the game, Warren, okay? Uh, when we do it at the briar, which, of course, starts next week. Uh, thank you to Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, and Goldline, who make all of this possible. Hey, Warren, maybe you want to go uh, take down another world-class curler and tell them they can't win. <laughs> we'll see you later, boys. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim.